0: I'm a little fired up this morning, I'm not going to lie. 2021, new year, I love the new year. It kind of invigorates me. We've got sunshine outside for the first time in seems like six months. And uh, I'm excited about it. So I hope you're excited too. If you're not, I'm going to yell and scream until you get excited. So the faster you get excited, the faster I'll get done. The less I'll yell and scream. We're looking at uh, Pursue today. You can see on the screen, you can see that we will be in Philippians chapter 3. Pursue is a very strong word of action. Um, Pursue is to chase after something in in pursuit of it, whatever it is. Uh, When I hear that word, I think of pursuit drill. In football, (laughs) there's a drill that every player just about, I think, that has ever played the game of football has probably done this drill. Um, and it's, again, it's called Pursuit Drill. It's, it's a, it's a high-energy drill. It's a high-effort drill. It's a drill that um, you do early and often uh, in football, and it's just about learning how to take the proper angles, how to see the proper thing, to take the proper angle, and to chase with the proper amount of energy to whatever it is that you're chasing. Um, so it's a drill that coaches love. It's a drill that can get you in trouble if you don't do it right. Uh, with the right amount of effort, and, uh, it's, and it's a hard drill, to be honest. It's a lot of running. It's a lot of effort. Um, but I thought it would be better if you could see it. So here's a quick video on what a pursuit drill looks like. So our defensive cornerback is our force player. He will tackle from the outside in. All other defenders will pursue inside out and throw what we call uppercuts off the back hip of the ball carrier. Our defensive right corner comes from the outside in and all the other players, including our backside corner, will pursue and throw violent uppercuts. We then will finish all the way through the goal line while the coach checks and try to complete it with an interception, increasing our number of times we catch balls during practice. Watch the pursuit of our backside corner number 24, 45 yards downfield And then he must finish another 45 yards. Finish with a catch. Okay, good. There was a, The coach uh, had to cut out a couple of cuss words there at the end, and I thought I caught it, but I was, I'm glad that I did. So, um, good, we missed that. But that's pursuit drill, high energy drill. Um, a lot of fun, a lot of work. That's what we're talking about today, being in pursuit of something. Uh, today, we're getting into Paul's letter uh, to the church at Philippi. We call it Philippians. Um, this is one of Paul's prison letters. Uh, it was written when Paul was a prisoner of Nero's Rome. Uh, in about AD 61, Paul's writing this letter about ten years after he has started the church in Philippi. And Philippi is where uh, Lydia and her family uh, were converted to Christianity. It's uh, where the Philippian jailer and his family were converted to Christianity. Uh, this church is well established by this point, ten years after its after its start, <clears throat> and that is made very obvious by Paul's opening statement in Philippians where he addresses the whole church at Philippi, as well as, he says, the bishops and the deacons, or the elders or the pastors and the deacons. But some people like to use the word bishop. And this letter uh, is in response to a gift that has been given to Paul. There's a man by the name of Epaphroditus, who is one of the church members at Philippi, and he has brought a financial gift to Paul. And Paul, in this letter, is recognizing, receiving that gift from Epaphroditus. They also sent him, Epaphroditus, to Paul to help him fulfill any needs or anything else. Paul acknowledges that they did this and that he's planning on sending, the, sending Epaphroditus back to them and thanking them for sending him for f- fulfilling his needs. He does that in Philippians 2, chapter 25. I like all those little details like that because it reminds you that these are real people that went through real things, real events. This is not hocus-pocus. This is not fairy tales. This is not once upon a time. This is human beings living for Jesus, living for God, going through real things, difficult things. Paul's, in Paul's case, he was in prison. Now, why would they be sending him a financial gift this part, at this point? The Roman prison system didn't give prisoners meals uh, or provide a clean, safe environment for them. So in, in ancient Rome, friends and family and, and humanitarians, whatever the case may be, had to care for prisoners or they would be placed in a much worse, much more dangerous situation, much more dangerous conditions. So they're sending, them, sending him this gift so that, he can, so that he, can, he can eat, literally so that he can eat while he is on uh, what's what would be considered nowadays house arrest. Um, which is not nearly a strong enough word, but it's the closest thing we have now. So, uh, according to Got Questions ministry, the, the book of Philippians can be summarized like this. The book is about Christ in our life, Christ in our mind, Christ as our goal, Christ as our strength and joy through suffering. And today we're going to pick up this letter, one of my favorite letters of the New Testament, in chapter 3 and verse 12. It says not that I have already reached the goal or am already perf- already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it, because I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. I have also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do: forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call. In Christ Jesus. Now, when you're uh, reading Paul's letters, he uses many analogies uh, to describe the Christian life. In those letters, there's four main themes that get used often. There's several more than that, but there's four that get used a lot. He uses the military, he uses architecture, he uses agriculture, and he uses athletics. Today, today we are looking at Paul the athlete. Paul the athlete in verse 12 through 14. Now, not literally Paul the athlete, but Paul explaining the Christian life through an athletic focus. And he says there uh, in the beginning of the verses we look at, not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfected. Paul speaks here of a dissatisfaction that he has, a dissatisfaction with with his sanctification is the word we would use in church. A dissatisfaction of, of how he is becoming who God wants him to be. Paul is not satisfied where he is in relation to where Jesus is. Not that he's not satisfied of, with Jesus. He's not satisfied with himself where he is in relation to Jesus. He's not speaking of a, of a desire of personal will. But he's speaking of something that is born out of a divine calling. God has placed a calling on him, and in that calling, he is not satisfied in where he is currently uh, in his life at this point. He's not becoming the Christian that he knows he's ultimately been called to be. Now, this is Paul who's on his way to being killed. This is Paul who's, who's done three missionary journeys. This is Paul who started the majority of the churches across Europe. This is Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. It's this Paul that has done all of these things that is saying he's not satisfied. He is very dissatisfied with where he is. He's, he's saying, I have not taken hold. I'm not re- I've not reached my goal. I'm not already perfected where I am. I had a wise philosopher tell me recently, I believe he's outside on the golf cart this morning. He said, Daniel, every now and again, we all need a kick in the pants. And I thought, man, that's a fact. We do. Every now and again, we all just need a, a reality check. We all need a You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You're not doing as well as you you can do it. We just need a kick in the pants. It's just the way that it is. That's a fact. Paul is not dissatisfied in himself compared to other Christians. Key point. Paul's not dissatisfied where he is in relation to you or you or me or any other Christian. He's dissatisfied where he is in Jesus. In following Jesus, in becoming who he wants to be. He is satisfied in Jesus, but dissatisfied in his own personal pursuit of Jesus. So be satisfied in Jesus, but be dissatisfied with your pursuit in Jesus. Move on there in those same verses. See the part part there highlighted. In Paul's dissatisfaction, he turns to devotion. 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 He turns to the one thing, he says, the one thing that he is chasing. The one thing that he is after. What is devotion? Devotion is focus. That's what devotion is. Devotion is focus. Do you know that you almost always hit or come near hitting whatever it is that you are aiming at? Whatever you're aiming at, most of the time, you come close to hitting that. Make sure you're aiming at the correct target, pursuing the correct target. Calling, Lord, save us from spending our life pursuing a life only to reach that point in our life that we realized we've climbed the wrong ladder. We made it, we got there, but the whole time we spent our energy climbing this ladder to this life when God was calling us to this ladder and to this life. To, to literally translate the word here, it would be like this, the part that's highlighted. But the, thing, but the one thing... But one thing I do. It would literally be, but one thing. So if you were saying it in person, that's probably how you would say it. But one thing. He says all these other things. I'm not who I'm supposed to be, but one thing. He's really making an emphasis of this one thing. It's like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was so focused... Right, Gabe? Nehemiah was so focused on building the wall back in Jerusalem that when they came and, and, and put sweet nothings in front of him, trying to get him distracted from the wall, in Nehemiah 6.1, he said, I'm doing a great work so that I cannot come down. I'm focused on the work I've got. I can't mess with you right now. I can't fiddle with that junk. I can't waste my energy. I can't waste my time. I'm focused on the one thing, this one thing. James tells us in chapter 1.8, That a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Paul is speaking here of devotion. What are we talking about with devotion? We're talking about priorities. We're talking about values. And living wholly with all that we have for the correct priorities and the correct values. Focusing on the right thing. The correct thing. So Paul, in his dissatisfaction, he finds his devotion... And now, he settles in on his direction. You see here the parts that are highlighted. This is Paul as the athlete, or you, or me, as the athlete. This is Paul running the race. This is Paul piloting his horse and chariot to win the chariot's race. This is what he's talking about right here. See, when you're running a race, no one is focused on pursuing the goal when you're running a race and looks around. When you're running a race, when you're sprinting to the finish line, you're not worried about what's around you. And you're certainly not worried about what's behind you. When you're watching a football game, or at least when I'm watching a football game, and someone is running towards the end zone, and they are worried about the guys chasing, what do they do? As they're running towards the end zone and they're worried about the guys chasing them, what do they do? They turn and look back, right? And what do you say when they turn and look back? Don't look back! I've heard, I've heard that so many times. I've said it. I've heard many people say that. In the stands, watching the football game, whatever. Why? Because we know that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not focused in the right area. What are they probably going to do? Trip over the 20-yard the line, right? As they're on their way to the end zone. So he's saying, don't look back. Don't look back. Don't look back. When Paul says here, and when Scripture speaks of... Forgetting the past, he says, forgetting what is behind. When, when Scripture speaks of that and where Paul speaks of that, all throughout Scripture, when it talks about forgetting the past, it doesn't mean that you don't remember anything. He's not saying, I don't remember anything that's happened in my past. That, that's illogical, and that's not really possible to just wipe your memory clear. He's saying, don't be influenced by the past. It's like the guys chasing you. Don't be influenced by them. Run to the end zone. Don't be influenced by your past. Run to the future. Run to what is ahead. Pursue what is in front of you. Don't be influenced by the past. Don't let your past determine everything that happens in your future. Go in the correct direction. And the correct direction for us as followers of Jesus and as a church is forward. The correct direction for us is forward. To forget what lies behind does not mean erasing your memory. But as Warren Wiersbe says, it simply means to break the power of the past by living for the future. And that's what we need to be doing, church. We need to be living for the future, for the things that are to come. So Paul, he's dissatisfied with where he is and his relation to where Jesus is. So he finds his one focus, his devotion, which gives him the proper direction forward. And then that leads to his determination. His determination. He determines to pursue. That's just one thing. I'm forgetting what's behind, and I'm pursuing what's in front of me. I'm pursuing what God has for me. I'm pursuing in the correct direction. In his humble admission of being dissatisfied, his humble admission of dissatisfaction, he devotes himself in the correct direction and determines to pursue or to press on your English version may say. Same word, different way of trying to translate the Greek into the English. The Greek, the Greek verb there to pursue or to press on is dioko. Dioko. Dioko, some of you will like this, is a hunting word. It's a word in the Greek back then that would have been used for hunting. It's an active word. It's a word of pursuing after something with capturing it in mind. That's what dioko is. It's also a word that is used to describe foot racing, running on foot, chasing after something, which is more of the context Paul's using it of here in an athletic standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. It's coupled with taking hold. In a number of passages in Scripture, when you see when dioko is together, it's with another word that means to take hold of. So the the two things go together. To pursue... And to take hold of, to pursue and overtake, to chase and to capture, to hunt down. That's what Paul's saying. I'm hunting down what it is God has for me, the calling He has placed on my life. What I was made, created, and put here on this earth to do, I hadn't got there yet, but I'm going to hunt it down. That's what Paul is saying here. He is going to pursue Dioco, what God has for him. I'm pressing forward, Paul says. Are we pressing forward, church? Are we pressing forward? I'm pursuing the course that God has laid out for me, Paul says. And I'm in full recognition that I'm not there yet. I'm in full recognition that I'm not there yet, Paul says. And you and I, we're not there yet. In this church, we're not there yet. But we're going to pursue what it is that God has for us he's not perfect he's not fully mature he's not who god wants him to be yet but he is highly confident in his ultimate salvation because his ultimate salvation is in the hand of the course designer not the course runner did you catch that forrest called it i heard an amen a of forrest. That that's the first one today first one of 2021 forrest had a boy Right? He is confident of his salvation. This script, these scriptures are not talking about salvation. He is talking to the church at Philippi. He is talking about living out your salvation. You could go back a, few, a little bit earlier in, Philipp, excuse me, in Philippians where he says, Work out your salvation. This is a continuation of that thought, of that idea. It's not to get your salvation. It's to be who you're supposed to be once you've been saved. So he's not worried about his salvation. He knows his salvation is in the palm of the hand of the course designer. But he knows in that truth and in that design, God has called him to run that course that he has designed. And that ultimately he'll get him to the proper finish line, as it were. So Paul is determined to pursue, to press on, and to take hold... Of his calling in Christ Jesus. How about you, Christian? How about you? Member of Danville First Baptist Church? How about you, Jesus follower? How about you, dad? You, mom? Brother? Sister? Student? Boss? Employee? What are you determined to do? What are you determined to pursue? What are you pursuing what have you been pursuing are you pursuing the one thing whatever it is that God has called you to pursue or are you pursuing a million things and going nowhere where 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 are you today where, where are you living right now where is your life where is your heart where's your devotion are, are you stuck in a in a woe is me boo-hoo 2020 was so hard my life is miserable mindset is that where you are 2020 is over. And good riddance. (laughs) Good riddance. We can't live in 2020. I know you don't want to. I sure don't want to. We don't need to. Paul says, I'm forgetting what lies behind. It's not going to influence my future. His aim, his focus, his direction is in the correct direction. He's aiming at the correct thing. Here's what most people do. Most people live in the past, let it determine their future, let it determine their present, excuse me, and hope that it leads to the right future. That's not what a Christian is called to do. We are called to keep our eyes on the future, allow that to affect our present, and the past will take care of itself. The pastor will take care of itself. We are to have our aim, our eyes on the upward call of Jesus. We are to have our aim on what it is that God has put you here to do. And he didn't allow you to be created. He didn't allow you to be put on this earth without a purpose. You have a purpose. And it's more than just your job, but it is your job. And it's more than your relationships, but it is your relationships. It's all of those things. But ultimately, it's to do all those things in a way that honors and glorifies Him, knowing that you will get your greatest satisfaction, your greatest joy, your greatest fulfillment out of doing that, whatever that is. For Paul, at this moment in his life, in AD 61, his greatest joy, do you know he says joy and rejoice over and over and over and over in the book of Philippians? For a couple of reasons. One, he loved the Philippians. They were a dedicated Christ-loving, Christ-following church and is evident by the fact that they sent him a financial and a human gift to help him while he was in prison. I lost my train of thought. Are you all with me? <laughs> We're That's right. That's right, Forrest. Sorry. I'm not going to tell you what got me distracted, but it was something. It was real. But we'll leave it at that. anyway Paul's joy in this moment here we are Paul is living (laughs) in prison Paul's purpose is to write the letters that eventually become what we read hopefully on a regular basis as followers of Jesus Paul instead of sitting around saying woe is me Oh, I can't believe this, Lord. I was doing all these things for you. How did I end up in jail? Poor, pitiful me. God, I thought you had a plan for me. He didn't say that. He realized in that moment that his purpose was to reach as many of the people in the churches he had planted as he possibly could. And he wrote these letters. And in those letters contained truth, ultimate, all-time, godly truth about God, about Jesus. And the people in those churches cherished what he wrote so much that they made sure to make copies of it again and again to spread it out to the people in their churches and around their areas at the expense of knowing that if they got caught, this is Nero's Rome. If they get caught doing this, if they get caught with this, they're going to die But Paul has followed his purpose. And then the people in the churches have followed their purpose. They're chasing after the right thing. And they're preserving these letters. And they're preserving this truth. And then the next generation does the same thing. And then the next generation does the same thing. And then before long, you get to the printing press. And before long, we've got these things coming out of our ears. That they died to preserve and make sure that you and I would have. And it goes all the way back to one guy saying, you know what? I'm in prison, but hey, you know what that gives me? A lot of time. I got a whole lot of time on my hands. Can't go anywhere. Can't do anything, but I got a lot of time. So I'm going to write some letters and thank God that he did. Thank God that he did. How many times have, have Paul's words encouraged you? How many people have come to faith in Jesus because of what Paul wrote? How many people have been at the end of their rope and then found hope Again, in God, because of what Paul wrote. Because Paul was forgetting what was behind him. What was behind him? Well, he was the Jew of all Jews, right? Hey, I've been, I've been circumcised. I've followed the law. I've done all that stuff, Paul says. Just a few short verses from what we picked up today. Hey, I did all that physical stuff, but I'm telling you, that ain't it. What else did he do? Persecuted the church. Killed Christians. Would have been going after you and would have been going after me before God got a hold of him and gave him a calling in his life that he knew that he must pursue once God had given him that calling. Have you, have you lost the joy of your salvation, Christian? Have you lost the focus? Do you remember what it felt like when you said, yeah, that's it. You probably remember the preacher. You probably remember his face. You probably remember the, the place. He said, that's it. That's what I want. What he's talking about. Salvation. Salvation. I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. Do you remember what that felt like? Kajillion pounds lifted off of you. It felt like you were floating. felt like you were a foot off the ground. You had a purpose then. You still have a purpose now. Don't allow the difficulties of life. Don't allow allowing the past to influence your present. Don't allow that to happen. Your past is the past. And there's nothing that you or I can do about it. Paul could not go back and save one single person that he beat on, threw in prison, or killed before he became a Christian. He couldn't. But he could focus on the future. He could go forward. He could go share the truth with somebody and allow that person to be saved. See, it can be used as motivation. It just shouldn't influence us in the wrong direction. That's all, that's all Paul's saying. I, I, ha- I want... So much to be and to do and to have what God wants, Paul's saying. But I'm not worried about what's behind me. I'm not there yet. But one thing is I'm going to pursue it. At whatever cost it takes. At whatever cost it takes. Right? You go back to the pursuit drill. What happens if you don't chase the rabbit like you're supposed to in the pursuit drill? You do it again. And what happens if you don't do it right? You do it again. And what happens when ten people do it right, but that one joker, and you know who that one joker was. I can see him right now when I was in college. Ooh. And you want to choke that one dude. <laughs> but what happens? Ten guys pursue. One guy wasn't. What happens? You do it Again. <laughs> We got to keep doing it. We got to keep pursuing. We got to keep pursuing. I've been praying about a word. You know, that's that's the thing nowadays. You got to have a word for the year, word for the church, and a word for you, and a word, one word. And it's, there's some, there's some some value in that. It's amazing what can happen when you just focus on one little thing. And I wasn't sure. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I'm mean, praying. I don't know, Lord. Everybody's sharing their word and they're doing their thing, and this is it's cool and everything. And I'm, I'm Way to go. But I was at a loss. I wasn't sure. And then it was like, dong. God hit me over the head with a two by four. He was like, just do it, man. Just go. Just pursue. (laughs) Just keep working. Just keep doing whatever it is I put in front of you. Whatever it is he puts in front of you, church. Whatever it is. Whatever service he puts in front of you, just do it. Pursue what he's calling you to do. And you will be glad that you did. You will be glad that you did. We should be satisfied with what we have. But we should be determined to continue to pursue what it is God has for us. Amen. I'll pray for us. And we are going to finish in a time of worship. We have a couple of songs to finish with. And I pray there are songs that speak to us and uh, desire, help us desire to, to want to pursue uh, because of what Christ has done for us. And, uh, and then we will finish up with the Great Commission. God, we come to you today. We thank you. We love you. We know, God, that you have placed a calling on our lives. God, you didn't save us just to be saved. You saved us to serve. You saved us to live for you. You saved us for a calling. God, we thank you for that calling today. We thank you that you loved us enough to pay the price to make that calling even possible. I pray as we finish up in in a time of worship today, in a time of song, that we would uh, just be invigorated by what it is to pursue you. God, we'd be invigorated by the truth that it is to be loved by the creator of the universe to have a purpose given to us by the one who made it all and paid it all so that we could have you, Lord, so that we could have it all. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen.